Hi everyone and welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS. I am Val Sopi and currently I'm running Blogstatic.io, a blogging and newsletter platform. In this show, I invite guests to talk about SaaS and sometimes I run solo with an update. Hi Pierre, welcome to the show. Hi Val, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. So um, I want to start the show with one of your latest tweets, which was on March 16. And I'm going to read it out. And it says, uh, finding the right balance between knowing when to quit and being consistent while not chasing instant gratification is one of the hardest things while building and growing business. Uh, I love this tweet. And I've, uh, I've thought a lot about what quitting means, what it is, when to quit when quitting is good and everything. And I sort of want to hear your take about it. How you, how do you look at quitting? Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> yeah, so I made this tweet when I realized that, I mean, I've read someone talking about, uh, actually a French people, uh, talking about how like in entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. you have to find the, ru- good, the right balance between uh, in paradoxal environment. So quitting, continuing, uh, build fast, but thinking long-term, all those things, you know, like always finding the right balance. And um, especially in the bootstrapping environment and space, so many people learn to start slow and learn to wait because almost all the big companies out there who've, you know, who've made it, mm-hmm. it started very slow. Like if you look at ConvertKit, for example, the first year of revenue was far from being awesome. And yet, yet right now, I think he's at uh, 20 million AR, 20 million mm-hmm. plus. So, yeah. Uh, Did you guys start slow with Scraping B? So with Scraping B, it started, yeah, quite slow. I think we got lucky because the we got one big customer two months after launch at $800 a month. But we discarded it when we wanted to validate scraping big because we knew, well, maybe this customer will left after a few months. Maybe it won't work. Maybe we won't be able to solve this issue. So beside him, it started quite slow. It took us, I think, four to five months to reach 1K MRR. And after a year, we were only at 3, 4K MR, so mm-hmm. it was quite slow. But what's funny is that it was almost as slow as my previous company, uh, PricingBot. And yet with PricingBot, we decided to quit because you have to, to wonder yourself, like, Okay, it's slow, but is it moving in the right direction? Like, and do you think you can make it grow faster? So you can you can have something that grows slowly, but if you know how to make it grow faster, you'll find a way. You'll eventually things will start to compound, and uh, you you'll get enough money, whatever, to continue. But with pricing but like it was growing slowly, but we didn't know how to make it grow faster. And usually when you start to wonder, okay, why can't you make it grow faster? Then you start to look into real issues. So with pricing but we didn't know how to make it grow faster. Why? 
because we didn't know how to acquire more customers faster. Why? You know, always a five why thing. Like why? Mm -hmm. Because uh, we didn't have an efficient acquisition channel. Why? Because we didn't know enough about e-commerce. Like we didn't know how to create good content about e-commerce. We didn't know how to attract e-commerce owners because we didn't speak the same language. Why? Because we were, because we never worked before in e-commerce. And so with pricing bot, we've made that exercise a couple of times and we realized that no matter what we did, it would probably not work even if we wait one year, two years, because yeah, we were probably not the right people for the job. And we were also starting to get like a bit uh, discouraged about it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, working on something that doesn't work, it takes a toll over time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we, we said with Kevin, okay, we'd rather quit too soon than too late. And so decided to, to move on. Like, Interesting. So with, I'm curious, with your knowledge right now, with your experience and, and maybe with your confidence now that you, you probably uh, grew with Scraping B, do you think you could have uh, made pricing bot work if you had it now in your hands? I think I could have made it work or Kevin could have made it work with someone else. Like if I mm -hmm. had been with an e-commerce expert, maybe it could have worked. And same with Kevin. Like it has nothing to do with Kevin or me. It was just that the two of us, I think it was not the right team for the product. Mm -hmm. We were too technical, we were too developer oriented. So I think either way, Kevin or I could have make it work with someone else. But yeah, I think here the team was the biggest problem. No, as an investor, I would have said, okay, you are not the good team for this product. And you guys are the same team now on Scraping B, correct? Yeah, exactly. But with okay. Scraping B, with Scraping B, so first, Kevin and I are both developer with technical background, okay? Mm -hmm. Secondly, we both did a lot of web scraping in our previous job. And thirdly, Kevin actually wrote a web scraping book in Java prior to launching Scraping B, actually prior to launching Pricing Bot 2. So here you can see that the founder product fit is much more important. Like it worked better and it was actually more logical. Like thinking mm -hmm. of it now, I don't know why we haven't chose to do it right away. Like it was a, a logical decision. And I'm curious, why Scraping B? Were you guys working on something similar before? What made you work on this thing rather than something else? Like what, what, why this product made the cut for you? Yeah. So actually, when we built Scraping Bot, we used the Web Scraping API. Mm -hmm. And we knew that product was doing well. But we also noticed that the product was not that good, you know, in terms of reliability, response time. And so we thought, well, we can do as build a product at least as good. We can do it. And we had three weeks left, three months left of runway. So we didn't really, uh, we didn't really have time 
to to think too much about it. Mm -hmm. so, we were working on pricing bot, things weren't working out. We uh, used that tool that was not working that well, but we thought we could replicate it in a better way. And yeah, that's basically how we got the ID. And when you say we had three months of runway, are you talking about you were working on pricing bot and that's sort of the runway from that product that you had left? Yeah, so, okay. so that's a long story, but... Uh, oh, please do tell, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, okay, so there's two things. First, when we quit in France, we add an, um, an allowance, like a monthly benefit, an employment mm -hmm. benefit. Oh, cool, okay. So this allowed us, this gave us a personal runway for um, a year, okay? That is great. Okay. After a few months with uh, pressing bot, uh, after nine months, basically, we knew that the only thing. So, w sorry, pressing bot is nine months years old. Um, nine mm -hmm. months old. Okay, we have three months left of an employment benefits, and after right. this, we have to uh, take. Uh, money from our personal savings. Actually, we were already taking a lot of money from our personal savings mm -hmm. because the benefit would not cover our living cost. So yeah, after three months, it, it would have started to be very hard to, to continue this bootstrapping thing. So that's a three months runaway thing because on the, on the company account, we never add more than 2000 euros anyway. On the person got company accounts, so we were actually uh, putting money from our personal savings and personal accounts, like every two three months to pay to pay the bills. Wow! Uh, and so yeah, in the end, we managed to sell to sell pricing bot because although it was a failed product, as a blog had a decent amount of traffic, so we were able to sell it to a competitors quite quickly for uh, low uh, one, two, five digits. Okay. So that bought us a few months of runway. And a second thing we did like to increase a safety net, the size of the safety net is like uh, in the early days of scraping B. So pricing bot is over. We start working on scraping B. We managed to sell pricing bot on the side and we launched scraping B. And when Scraping B was one month old, I found a very well-paid freelance gig. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was like, I was working as a freelance. I invoiced through the company. And both okay. Kevin and I got paid from that freelance gig. And Kevin worked full-time on Scraping B at that time. So we did it for, for a few months. Yeah. And then at some point you got to, you said it was, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you said it took about um, three months to get to one, uh, 1K MRR. Was that correct? Did I hear yeah. that correct earlier? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I, the one thing that I find super interesting is that you guys were scraping by <laughs> doing all these things and the name of the product is Scraping B. I yeah. find that very cool. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. like, you guys are working on you know, all these things just to make it work. And I, I find that very inspiring, you know, uh, just to sort of like, you know, you have three months and then you go into getting a freelance gig and you start 
funding the the new product. And then at some point, I guess after like a year or so, or how long did it take for you guys to focus on it and say, hey, this is this is good now. Like we we have to focus on this and not do any freelance gigs or anything like that. Yeah, sure. So um, the freelance gig was always supposed to last three to six months. And after one month and a half, Kevin really started to, to, so he focused on the SEO at that time and mm -hmm. really started to produce good content. And we started to, he, he managed to close a few big customers. So not 800 a month customer, but a few $400 a month. Cool. And so at some point I was invoicing, I don't know, maybe 15,000 euros a month through the freelance gig. And so we were like, okay, we're making uh, $2,000 MRR. We have 50,000 euros in the company account. Pierre, I think you can quit. And so uh, I also wanted to quit. Like it was, yeah, not a fun period for me. And so, yeah, we, we basically, I quit the freelance gig when we had, I think, 15 months of runway, like we did oh, all okay. the math and we had 15 months to figure it out. So we thought we were confident it would be enough to, to make it work. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's a decent amount of time to either see yeah. if it's going through or if it's not going, you know, though, that's, that's yeah, pretty exactly. decent. One thing that I, I have never got to work on, like I've, I've built, uh, quite a few products. I've never built a product. That's an API. And yeah. you've built both, I guess, uh, yeah. or many other things before that. Uh, what is the difference in your in your sort of you know, thinking uh, between building a product like a regular product like pricing bot and then building an, a product that's an actually an API? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And uh, I think the two biggest difference between an API and a more classical SaaS product is first development cost of an API are basically half of a classical SaaS product because you almost have no front end. Oh, yes, true. And if you need a front end, there's tons of uh, boilerplate code, whatever mm -hmm. monitoring tool that can do the, the big works for you. So that's something to to Keep in mind, like, mm -hmm. and Kevin and I were both like, we didn't know a lot about web design, UI, UX, front end, whatever. We're never those kind of developers. So it really helped. We were more confident building an API than, uh, I don't know, like a dashboard tool or mm -hmm. whatever. And secondly, and I think that is the most important point, it's very easy to sell an API. And it's really easy to sell an API for $1,000, $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You get those users and you sell an API. And you're like, okay, if you want to make 1,000 call a month, it's going to be $100. So user usually is already technical, so he knows how to call the API. Right. He makes mm -hmm. some call. And then he's like, okay, I need 10,000 API call. And you're like, okay, it's going to be $1,000. Okay, let's call it 800 with discount. 
mm-hmm. with volume discount. And the user is like, yeah, okay, no problem. He already knows how much it's going to cost. He knows how much it costs elsewhere. So, so yeah, I find it uh, very easy to educate the users and to sell very big package. Yeah, I've yeah. never thought about that, actually, especially the part which makes sense. I mean, there's no front end. You're building an yeah. API. Yeah. You know? and, and the customer is sort of one use case in a way. The person you're dealing with yeah. is a person that is knowledgeable about what they're buying. Exactly. Um, I had a product. It was project management, invoicing, and a few other things in one. And I was helping a product manager, a founder, uh, somebody they just hired who doesn't even know how to use a computer. Yeah. It was insane. It was yeah. just the support was like out of hand and I it was so frustrating. Yeah, so this it, one is pretty cool actually. Yeah, educating user is both very important and also very hard. So mm-hmm. even if you're building a product in a validated validated niche and all, you still have to yeah, teach user to, to use your product. And since when you're using an API, all you have to do is learn to use a few lines of code. Mm-hmm. If the person you're talking to is already a developer, it's quite easy. And yeah, so absolutely. we just had to spend a lot of time on our documentation and we almost never get yeah, user who, who don't get it. Like we have non technical user who sign up in the hub that it's a non technical product. But for technical users, like they all they all get it quite quickly. And do you guys get any time uh, users that are non-technical, like, or your your copy, your website does the job pretty well to explain it, like what everything is? Mm, yeah, so I think we could improve here. You're right. Sometimes we get non-technical user, and actually people who want a web scraping agency, like they want to get this data scrape every day and deliver mm-hmm. to their inbox and filtered uh, and cleaned and all. Like they want a, the, the full data pipeline as a service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it exists. Like there is a lot of big companies doing it. And I do think like the big money in the web scraping industry are there, like building those kind of products. But we're not doing it yet for several reasons. So yeah, we get those kind of people often, but not that often. So it's it's not a big issue for us. Yeah, and I I see that more as a consulting sort of job, right? Like it's like different for every client. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that would be yeah a consulting service thing, mm-hmm. and we don't want to do it. Yeah, pretty cool, man. I know before starting the show, we spoke a bit about funding, and yeah. I was curious to hear. I know you guys are part of Tiny Seed now. Yeah, and exactly. I'm curious to hear if you. Uh, if you've considered many ways uh, to fund your startup, I know you mentioned some that you know just just a few minutes ago, and I'm curious overall about your experience with Tiny Seed and how you went about choosing them and not maybe some VC route or any other like angel or other options that are out there. Sure. So that that's a good question. So as I told you, so I used to make this freelance gig. We have 50k in the bank, mm-hmm. but. We noticed that the tiny seed application were closing. Mm-hmm. And we didn't thought we could get in, to be honest, because we were a European company. We were not doing that much revenue. But yeah, I kind of filled the form 
on a like I didn't really think too much about it. Like it was the last day of application. Where I just wanted to see if it goes through, so so I filled the form. And um, had we not been taken into Tiny Seed, we probably would not would not have tried to to have another to have funding. Like we would, mm-hmm. uh, we would have okay. looked for funding because well, Angel Business Angel, it's cool if you have lots of rich friends. Mm-hmm. Which were which was not our case, um, and uh, VC funding it, it was not interested interesting for us. Like we didn't want to build a very big company. We wanted to to keep our speed. We didn't want to wire. We well all the classical reason for not looking to raise. We we had them, and um, and so yeah, we applied. For Tiny Seed, fortunately, we got in, and uh, and it was amazing because so yeah, we got the money, which was cool, and actually made our runway almost infinite at that time. Mm-hmm. But we got all those mentor and uh, the mentorship program, which really gives a lot of value, especially for us. Like we were living in the countryside in France, where it's not that easy to meet with other bootstrapper, indie hackers, SaaS people, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, sometimes it's hard to to get the information you're looking for from someone you can trust. And, and TinySeed really brought us, gave us this, plus a sense of community. And it was just before the first lockdown. So we, it was a good timing to, to make some online friends. And um, yeah, so that's basically how the whole tiny seed thing happen? And so you, you apply because uh, the deadline is coming quickly. Yeah. You don't yeah. think that you might get in. So you get an email back. Is that like what? Ha- like I'm curious about like how you felt yeah, about so, that because you didn't think more much about it. Yeah. So we applied because well we've heard about tiny seed when they launched for their first batch. So it was a year prior to that. So probably in 2019, and we were also a huge fan of. Rob Welling, who really inspired mm-hmm. us with all his books and blogs and all. And so, yeah, we wanted to, to be part of the crew, you know? And so so we apply, and actually a few weeks after, we received an email. Okay, your application was shortlisted. You're going to, to be on three short call with Rob Whaling, um, general partner, ANR, general, general partner too, and... Um, Tracy Osborne, which mm-hmm. was a program director. And it was all three short 15-minute calls. It went well. And a few weeks after, we received a, not maybe not directly an offer, but an email that said, OK, you're in. We're going to send you a proper offer very soon. Because you're a French company, we'll probably have to figure a few details out together. But you're in. And we were ecstatic, like wow. I couldn't believe it. And it was That's very easy too, like so. Yeah, no. So there was a quick due diligence part, but it was very, very basic. Like we just gave them access, I think, to Google Analytics, to Chart Mogul, and that was basically it. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And what would happen if you guys didn't get into Tiny Seed? Was that I know you said you had some money in the bank. Like, would you, would you consider any other ones, like Comfund or anything like that? Or this was no, the only one that you were interested in. 
Yeah, that was the only one we were interested in. Mm-hmm. Especially because we didn't do it for the money. Right. Like, the money mm-hmm. was not the first reason we did it. So I don't think we would have raised. We probably would have grown much slower than we did had we not joined any seed because we wouldn't have risked money on marketing experiment. We wouldn't have hired. We wouldn't have uh, paid expensive agencies and all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we, yeah. If I had to put a number on it, I think tiny seed make made us save one year, one year and a half. Like, mm-hmm. so. That is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's Rob Rob puts so much uh, content out there. Uh, he's so generous yeah. with everything he does. And that's probably the only reason I would apply for funding. It would be because of Rob and the team that's in there. And yeah. I don't think I've honestly looked at any other funds. I'm against like you, any like angel or VC, anything like that. Like I, I'd like to build this you know, sort of slow, a uh, slow business that is growing decently and, you know, at a, at a good pace and not go the VC route where, you know, you have yeah. to, you have to go like hundred miles per hour and just, you know, um, yeah, exactly. race well, for the next round and everything. So exactly. Well, you, yeah. you should do it definitely because, and so sure, Rob is very generous with his content and all, but also the whole tiny seed community is mm-hmm. awesome. And like, so in the Slack, everything happened in the Slack. It's cool because you have a mix of first-time funder, young funder, mm-hmm, old mm-hmm. funder, I mean, not all, older funder. Right. People who already sold a few companies, people who were working in big companies who did IPO and all, people coming from the VC world. So you got all those people from different backgrounds and they are also all very generous when you need some help. Mm-hmm. So there is this Slack channel, Advice Needed. And whoever has a question about everything, so it can be tech, marketing, SEO, legal, pricing, support, hiring, whatever. Everyone asking there has like 10 to 20 answer in the next six hours. It, it's wow. pretty awesome. That is really cool. The whole network of founders and not just yeah. the main team, I guess, you know. Everybody yeah. else that is in the program, um, yeah, it's very nice. I, you know, the, the community that is being built around it is pretty amazing. Um, I really like that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you guys, uh, so you and Kevin, and I guess you guys are now three people. Uh, yeah. What is the per- third person doing? Is that like uh, somebody you guys hired, uh, another co-founder? Like, how does that work right now? So um, we're actually four right now. Okay, we. So we working with um, Etienne, so first full-time IR developer, and Nizar with a contractor, but full-time, and he's doing the support. Okay. Uh, so about Etienne, what happened? So he used, he's a big friend of us. Like I've known him for the last 15 years. I was in mm-hmm. high school with him, and we used, he used to be also my flatmate for a few years cool. in Paris. So very good friend. And um, yeah, we we needed some help with the development. He was looking for a job. So at first he did a six months freelance uh, gig for us. Like, because, you know, sometimes it can be hard to work with friends. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we didn't want to risk it for this. So we thought, okay, let's work for six months, no strings attached and see how it goes. 
and it went very well. Like, it was awesome. And so, yeah, I told him, okay, Etienne, if you want to keep working with us, like, we can make it a, like a proper full-time uh, job and position. And he was also very happy to work with us. So, so we joined. Uh, he's not a co-founder. He, he doesn't have any shares. But mm-hmm. what we decided to do instead was we're doing some kind of um, revenue sharing at the end of the year. So we okay. decided to to split uh, the the net income. So ah the benefit. No ah I don't have the English word like <laughs> the net results basically. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. income minus cost. And, uh, and to give a, a fair share to our employees, which is now only Etienne. So, so yeah, we decided to do that instead of giving shares because, you know, those would have been illiquid shares anyway. Right. We don't plan to raise. We don't plan to IPO. We might plan to sell the company, but those are the thing, like, you never know if it can happen. So... Yeah, I yeah. Think profit sharing a... is uh, profit sharing seems a little bit more immediate too. It's yeah, like exactly. in in a few months you get a paycheck. You know the way. Exactly. You know, I think it was a yeah a fair way to do it, both for him and us. And it was also a simpler way to do it. Like we didn't have to go through the a lawyer to see how we could split shares and do all the paperwork and all. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we went that route instead. That's pretty cool, man. The whole story is very inspiring, you know, like just coming back from pricing bot, you know, and uh, and having all those lessons and sort of quitting early, not pushing it too hard. And then the scraping B, scraping through with scraping B, yeah. getting through tiny seed, you know, like the whole the whole line, the, the whole storyline is pretty amazing. And I'm curious, like, what is your professional background or like your education or how, do you, how did you get into making products? That's sort of my question. So my background is quite classical. So I went through public university in France, learning computer science. Mm-hmm. But then I had one year left to do before getting my degree. But I, I quit because I was kind of tired of it. And I okay. found a very well-paid internship in the US, at least very well-paid from a 22-years-old European point of view. And so I went to Boston. I worked a year on a startup. And it was kind of crazy because I was working with someone who was doing almost everything that you should not do when you build a startup. Oh, oh my, okay. I mean, it, that guy was brilliant, technically brilliant. He used to work on the very low-level stuff for NVIDIA and all. Like, very, yeah, like smart you know mm-hmm. right yep totally get it but like i was reading all those sort of things like rob Wiling's book in the hacker hacker news paul graham's essay and all and it was funny because everything i've read the evening during the day like it's like i've seen the opposite like it was doing everything the opposite of everything i've read <laughs> The evening, like, so we built a product which was, of course, not public. And he didn't want to make it public before the product was fully polished. Mm-hmm. He was a bit, he was so scared about the competition 
and the biggest competitor was, was in the UK that we cut all, we ban all IPs from the UK from accessing okay. the, the product that was not even public yet. Uh, he built a V1 for a year, then scratched everything and rebuilt a V2 for another year. Um, so yeah, doing all those things, never building, building, never trying to get feedback and all. And uh, I learned a lot. And I learned that I had much more to learn. So actually, after this experience, I came back to France. I finished my degree. I worked for one year and a half in a startup in France. Some, let's say it was a French Zillow. Okay. Doing lots of data stuff uh, in the realtor uh, industry, scraping a lot of data too. And there I noticed that basically I was working every day to make my boss very rich. Like mm -hmm. I was well paid, but like the big opportunity, it was all for, for my boss, which kind of made sense, but it was not something I wanted. Mm. So, so I quit. And actually the company sold uh, a few months, one year later for $200 million. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So kind of a big exit. And, uh, and that boss was always talking when, you know, we were doing some team building event and all like, we're a big family. We're going to win together. We're together. <laughs> you know, those kind of pitch. But he was very good at it. Like, honestly, very good. Like, mm -hmm. he was, I don't know, 40, 50 years old. He, he had a lot of charisma. He was uh, funny, uh, easygoing. Like, uh, you trusted him. Okay. And of course, the company got sold. And of course, no one beside, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 person, no one got anything out of it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I've heard for, from former colleagues that the atmosphere got a bit weird in the company because basically you go from, I'd say it's like some people in the company got very rich the mm -hmm. same people who said we're all in this together but yeah when it was question of saying the company yeah there suddenly people were less together mm -hmm. so what is it was it a big company as far as people go it was a 300 person company okay okay not not so big i guess not so big. Exit. yeah not so big so yeah everyone kind of knew each other uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the atmosphere, atmosphere was very good. I met lots, lots of good friends there. But yeah, ultimately, I knew that uh, I wouldn't get lots of freedom and and money out mm -hmm. of it. Like it, it was all BS. Yeah, and then after that, you started uh, pricing bot, or was something else before going into that? Ah. Yeah, so when I was working there with Kevin, we built a price monitoring extension on Chrome that allows you to, to save product and get notified as soon as the price dropped. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was a fun little product. We got a bit of traction. It was like the business model was awful. We would have needed maybe, I think I've met the math. We made the math. It was like we would have needed 
100,000 monthly active users to make it work. So we thought, yeah, you know, it was fun. Let's just let it die somewhere. Okay. But we noticed that some user would add thousands of products. And after a quick investigation, we noticed that those users were e-commerce owners and were like, wait a minute, you have e-commerce owners who add a lot of product because they want to monitor their competitors' prices. And we thought, okay, let's be the assassin of it. It's going to be B2B instead of B2C. Uh, product is validated. We're going to get rich. It's going to work. It didn't, but yeah, that's how we went from web scraping, shop to list, so the uh, browser extension, then pressing bot, then scraping B. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. The whole journey, you know, from like university, quitting, going there to Boston. Yeah. Seeing how somebody's doing things the wrong way. And then yeah. Coming back <laughs> to the Zillow sort of, not clone, but the similar company and the exits. And, you know, you've seen a lot, you know, before before uh, building Scraping B. And, and this is really cool. And it's super inspiring that, you know, Scraping B is doing so well. You guys are only four people. And it seems to be growing at this point, too. So it's really amazing, you know. And uh, with all that said, uh, as sort of the last question, I'm curious if you, let's say, Scraping B either exits or you stop working on it. If you were to start a new product today, how would you go about doing that? Uh, you have no idea whatsoever. Um, you've just maybe taken a break from exiting Scraping B, mm -hmm. but you, you're itching to build a new product. Zero ideas, zero cravings. How would you go about finding a product, starting a new company with all this experience you have up to now? Okay. Um, so I think what I would do is like, I would build another product for developers because it feels like that's my edge, mm -hmm. let's say. And I'd probably go on Stack Overflow and see, okay, what are developers complaining about? What libraries are hard to use? You know, is it OCR, OCR uh, API very hard to use? Okay, let's wrap something around it and sell it. Is it um, is it managing images and videos? Okay, maybe there is something to do there. You know, like yeah, I probably would would do that. Kind of do my market research through developers blog and Stack Overflow and GitHub. Also, of course. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I have a developer friend who stays away from building anything for developers because he hates how picky everybody is and he's scared of that. So he's like, I will never do a product for, for developers. So it's it's pretty refreshing to hear from somebody, you know, saying that I would I would build it for for developers because like you said, you know, that's your edge. That's how you find what you're yeah. your best at. So I don't think developers or that picky if you're solving a problem that takes them, you know, mm -hmm. 10 hours a week. Like if you're selling, I don't know, like a, a developer tool to code in Python on the cloud, yeah, probably it's going to be a hell to maintain right. and sell because all developers are so, you know, uh, want their perfect setup, whatever. But if you think in terms of business problem, they are way less picky, especially their manager. 
Mm -hmm. so, Interesting. So yeah, I mean, I, I won't try to sell to developers just for the sake of having developers as customer. In just, I'm just trying to to solve a product, to solve a product, um, to solve a problem businesses have, businesses who employs developers. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's a that's a good angle to to target that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll I'll pass on all this to my friend and see what he thinks. Yeah, sure. Because he's itching to start a new product and he's like, I don't want to do for developers. And he has this little small thing actually that people are using developers. Yeah, but I guess he doesn't have the confidence to to go fully on it. So yeah, this is pretty cool ideas. Yeah, it, um, it, it was hard also at the beginning. You know the the whole confidence confidence thing. I can relate. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because you fear that you're going to get judged through the product you built, but in the end, it, it doesn't happen. Like, like you have to ask yourself: Do you remember the founder of a crap product you've tried? No, you didn't like you saw a product. Right. Was hard. You forgot about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a no risk thing. Like if you build something, if it's crap, okay, no one's going to use it anyway, and mm -hmm. you get a chance to improve and and make it good. And if you build something, if it's useful, people buy your product. They love you. It's awesome. So yeah, that's a yeah, I totally. Totally, man. One thing I, I never got to ask, and uh, I think it's unfair to, to listeners, I, I never asked you what Scraping Beat does. Uh, ah, the name yeah. sort of tells it, but if you, in your own words, can can explain what it what it does and who uses it for what. Okay, so I have two, two answers to this question. So I have <laughs> my mom answer. So for people who know nothing about developers, programming, and all, Scraping Beat is a tool that allows people who develop who write program to get a lot of information on the internet quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's a level one answer. Level two would be, so we're an API that does web scraping. So what's web scraping? It's a process of automatically get information, publicly available information from the web. And since we're an API, we're just a tool that people will plug to from their programs. So they write, they will write programs that will use scraping B and get all this data on the web and then do whatever they want with the data. So they can mm -hmm. do price monitoring, social media monitoring, news analysis, SEO stuff. So yeah, that, that's what we do. Cool, all kinds of use cases. That's pretty cool, man. Uh, yeah, so for the end, uh, if you can quickly mention where people can find about you, about your product, or anything else you're doing that you want to share with every listener. Yeah, so if you want to check the product, it's scrapingbee.com. So S-C-R-P-I-N-G-B-E-E.com. And personally, I share quite a bit on Twitter. So Pierre DeVulf on Twitter. I share, yeah, the learning, the, the loss, the win, and an interesting find along the way. And uh, and there is also Kevin on Twitter, but he is less active. And uh, and yeah, that's where you can learn more about us. Pretty cool. Hey, thank you, Pierre, so much for coming on the show and sharing all thank your you journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. And all it's very inspiring and all the details about Tiny Seed and your product and everything that you went through to come to this point, I guess. And wishing you a lot of luck and, and good work ahead. And hopefully we'll get to chat uh, later on, maybe in a year or so, and keep up with uh, what you're up to. Would love to. Well, thank yeah. you, Val. Thank Absolutely, you man. Thank you. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.